Welcome to the new Nutrition Business Podcast, where we bring you insights and experts to discuss the latest trends and developments in the food and beverage industry. I'm Joanna Maricato, Market Research Manager at New Nutrition Business, and today I'll talk about personalized nutrition with Josh Anthony. Josh is the founder and CEO at Enlumen, a consulting group that helps companies create personalized products with benefits people want. Josh has focused his career on helping people achieve their health and wellness goals by translating science and technology into differentiated products, platforms and businesses. Before starting Enlumen, Josh served as Vice President Global R&D Nutrition and Health at the Campbell Soup Company and was the founding Chief Science Officer at personalized nutrition company Habit. Josh has also had several scientific and management roles at Mead Johnson and Unilever. Here at New Nutrition Business, we've had the opportunity to work with Josh in different projects in the past, and it's great to have him here today at our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Josh. Oh, hi, Joanna. So nice to be here. So, Josh, when it comes to personalized nutrition, one of the top questions we get asked is how big the actual market is and is it really growing? So can we start with a brief market overview and areas of growth? Yeah, sure, sure, Joanna. Let me let, let me address the size part first. I, estimates about the size of the personalized nutrition market really vary quite a bit. Um, here in the U.S., I've heard current estimates ranging from about $2 billion up to an excess of $20 billion. Underscoring the larger market size more recently, when Nestle bought Persona, the personalized supplement company, uh, they estimated the global personalized nutrition market will be about $50 billion in 2025. Now, one thing that is consistent is whether I've heard a smaller estimate or a larger estimate, growth rates are typically around 10% or so. So I think one takeaway here is that whether you believe the higher values or lower values, it's fair to say that personalized nutrition is a large and rapidly growing market, which means that it can provide a significant business opportunity. Okay, and why do we see such differences in the market size estimations? And I think it relates really to how broadly someone is defining personalized nutrition. For example, is it limited really to like a personalized food product or a supplement, you know, the end product that you provide to the consumer, or does it include kind of the ecosystem of personalization, which brings together things like wearables or diagnostics um, or food behavior coaching? And I strongly suspect that the smaller estimates are taking a much more narrow view. The Hartman Group, actually going back a few years ago, estimated that more than 80% of smartphone users are saying that technology has improved eating. And... This is really telling me that technology and food go hand in hand, or maybe I should say hand and stomach. Um, so I think we need to take a more inclusive approach to defining this market to include both the food that we eat and the devices that are helping to inform our choices. I also think that being inclusive of technology has an added benefit. It can help to inform our food choices and shape our behavior in a positive way. And you need credible information and then the ability to act on that information to ultimately drive better health outcomes. Yes, definitely. And um, where do you think growth in this area is coming from? So growth in space is coming from a lot of different areas. Um, I'd like to highlight maybe three areas to keep an eye on. Wearables. Uh, this is a large and rapidly growing segment. And the advances have the ability to integrate multiple functions. 
and do a lot more than tracking uh, steps, heart rate, or sleep. One great example is the Starkey Livio AI hearing aid. This hearing aid also claims to track both body and brain health. And apparently it uses advanced AI to be able to detect if you've fallen and can even act as an assistant. So you can see how, you know, really sort of the quantified self movement is finding its way into new benefit, new, new potential benefit areas that can help help the user in new ways. If we're looking at things like the gut microbiome, I, I think we really have to continue to follow that space. We still have a lot to learn when it comes to using microbiome-based information to make dietary recommendations, but the science is rapidly developing in this area. And of course, as New Nutrition Business has done a great job of highlighting, gut health is such a driving force in the food and beverage market. And microbiome-based information has the potential to spill over into a lot of other areas. Uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the research that's been really focusing on this gut-brain access and the potential importance of the microbiome to brain development and brain health. And then finally, supplements. Uh, supplements is already a very large industry. And personalization provides a lot of opportunity for disruption. Uh, the target consumers for personalization are, are often already supplement users. In addition, if you look at many of the types of diets that people are following today, uh, you see lifestyle consumers that are, you know, uh, more going vegan. Uh, keto is very popular right now. These come with some very common nutrient gaps and where supplements can really help to fill this gap while allowing people to stick to their diet plan. Finally, supplements are um, attractive because they have a very good margin structure and that can enable companies looking at personalized supplementation to move into profits, uh, move into profitability more rapidly. Yes, you're right. Supplements do offer a lot of advantages when it comes to tailoring products to consumers. And you mentioned the hearing aid that integrates the multiple functions and therefore has an advantage when it comes to consumer communications and engagement. So in your opinion, who are the personalized nutrition consumers and what are they looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, a, a very, a very important question as we're looking at, at this space to to help people understand, you know, who's personalization working to serve. I think the consumer for personalization is someone who is now seeking more objective advice based on personalized data. They're often a frustrated uh, health and well-being lifestyle consumer that are moving away from more subjective personalization. And what I mean by subjective personalization, it's, it's kind of self-defined personalization. I had a friend that was on keto, and so I wanted to try keto, or paleo, or um, pick, you know, really pick a given program that maybe hasn't worked, or maybe it worked for a while, but it's not continuing to work for them for whatever reason. Uh, you know, a typical example might be somebody that lost weight on a given program, now they've gained some weight back. So I think that then, that ideal target is now someone that is looking for a more objective way to person, you know, a, a more objective way to approach personalization, which is really using data and different type of measures to try and get more information. So this means some things about, you know, who's the ideal target. It's going to have to be someone who is highly motivated. They're going to have to be goal oriented and, and ideally bought into this idea of the quantified self area because 
to be successful, you know, as you know, given the current marketplace, the person has to be interested in gathering some data around themselves, comfortable with the tools that, that they need to use, and be willing and able to follow some, you know, more prescriptive, if you will, dietary advice. So I, I think the point is, is that even within the scope of a technology consumer, if you said to me, what is ideal? the ideal person still needs to be prepared to, to be able to manage and act on information because the best advice systems still require a high level of engagement. It may not be for everyone that's based on uh, commitment and, uh, you know, as well as available finances uh, because some of these programs can be kind of expensive. This doesn't mean there's not, um, it doesn't mean there's not a robust market because as technology becomes more user-friendly and cost-effective, this is going to continue to grow. But what it does mean is there's a desperate need for people that can act as data and information integrators to help to make options that are out there more affordable and accessible. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's not for everybody in terms of gathering the information and effectively act on it. But we do see that most consumers want to feel empowered and in control. And this has been a key driver for the personalization trend. Uh, so, you know, long-term consumer engagement has been a challenge for companies in the area. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this and on other challenges in personalized nutrition. Okay, sure. So if I'm thinking about some of the other big challenges, um, when I talk to different companies, I hear some really common themes uh, as well as pitfalls. One common theme uh, is this idea of an ecosystem. And we talked a little bit about this earlier in the conversation. All right, there's this, this, this idea that you have to have multiple players, suppliers, manufacturers, and retailers that work together to ultimately realize the value of personalized nutrition. And I agree with this, but there's a couple challenges here. One common challenge is it can get very complex very fast. As an example, I've seen examples of these types of ecosystems where people bring in Areas that are actually outside their outside their business. For example, they might be talking about healthcare professionals or regulators as part of, you know, part of this ecosystem. But you know, but it's it's not necessarily germane to the type of business that they're in. Um, the second and maybe bigger problem sometimes is is that whoever is presenting the ecosystem will invariably put themselves at the center of that ecosystem, and I think this is a fundamental mistake. It forces the company or organization to try and provide oversight to those areas that are outside of their core expertise, and it quickly can stretch them too thin. So I think a much better approach is to put the consumer or the person that you are trying to serve at the center. And if you start with them and understand their needs, you can devise a much more focused, specific ecosystem to better meet unmet needs, because you can then base your personalization around what a given need or set of needs are for your consumer. Um, so, you know, one example of that might, might be that, you know, you're trying to market something that would help to support, uh, heart health or weight loss or gut health. And then, uh, depending on what type of company you are, food supplement, uh, beverage, it, it, it becomes a much smaller and more focused ecosystem. Now I want to kind of come back to that point of consumer engagement in this context, because really, if you're looking sort of like, if you're looking at lifestyle inter intervention, uh, and how do you how do you achieve continued engagement? There is a, a kind of a virtuous cycle of uh, personalized nutrition that uh, we published in a, a paper around guardrails for personalized nutrition in advances in nutrition last year. Uh, but 
what we what we were looking at there is like, okay, how, what do you need to make this work? You need a credible measure of health or function. That measure should provide information that allows you to improve uh, diet or dietary patterns. That information should lead to a behavior change. So that person needs to be empowered and willing to act on that information, which should then inform another outcome, a quantifiable improvement in health or function. Once you achieve that outcome, then you are potentially looking at new measures. So I think that this is the way that you can continue to engage a consumer. And oftentimes this is again, where you're going to see things like a maybe DNA based or DNA only diet fall short. Because again, it's not, you're not necessarily looking at continued outcomes. The measures aren't going to change. The information is static. And so I think behavior falls off. Now, Behavior is going to be broadly across this space another key challenge. I think from a scientific standpoint, we have the ability to make some strong recommendations uh, and to provide people with meaningful information, but we're still struggling a little bit sometimes, I think, in the personalized space or struggling, you know, is, is driving that behavior change. So I think that once we're able to uh, do that in a meaningful way, that's going to really help to open up this this space. Yeah, that's true. And talking about opening up this space, I'm keen to hear how do you think a food and beverage company can profit and connect to personalized nutrition and the personalization trend? I'll call out three areas that um, any, you know, really almost any existing food and beverage company can participate in without necessarily needing to cha- you know, do wholesale changes against their, their product portfolio. And I, I think that sometimes this is, this is lost, right? The, the idea about personalized nutrition is probably less about personalized food and moving people to better dietary patterns. So the first thing that I would say is, is that companies should be looking at how their existing products can fit into a, you know, one or more personalized programs. Um, it's not realistic for a lot of large food and beverage manufacturers to be thinking about, you know, um, doing N of one product, uh, you know, product design and, and commercialization. But it's very, very realistic to kind of say, hey, how can my products fit into, and in this case, whether it be a sort of a broad subjective personalized program, like what might be suitable for a ketogenic based diet, or it could be, you know, um, how can some of these other products fit into say the macronutrient distribution for a given uh, personalized program that is based off of, you know, more, you know, more quantified um, or, or measured based advice, you know, that could come from a range of biomarkers. So um, I think there are a lot of opportunities there. There's also a lot of opportunity in the context of thinking about those products in recipes. There may be certain things within those products that could be outages, uh, you know, for a given given plan, uh, particularly as we think about some of the things that might be less desirable from a you know a general nutrition standpoint, uh, but they may fit very well into a healthy recipe, and it could allow you know uh, allow them to work with retailers and personalized partners to to help have their product as one part of a as a solution. And then you know, finally, I want to kind of come back to that you know where. Where companies have a big opportunity, we talked a little bit more about, you know, this idea of making personalized nutrition affordable and accessible. Um, A lot of the big food companies have some great products that are at an attractive price point. 
One of the biggest challenges, I think, in personalized nutrition is oftentimes people who might benefit the most from more personalized approaches that the people in lower uh, socioeconomic uh, status groups are, um, they, can't, they can't afford uh, some of these more personalized approaches. And so the food industry can play a big role by making, by aligning their products to uh, healthy nutrition programs and, you know, helping to guide people to where there are, you know, more affordable and accessible choices to help them meet their health and well-being needs. Yes, I agree with those three areas. And recently, at a Future of Personalized Nutrition Summit, a lot of the food and beverage companies were asking if they now need to do, you know, a billion different products to connect to personalization. But that's not the case at all. And like you just said, I think it's more a matter of, you know, making sure your portfolio connects to as many different preferences and needs in the market. And so I'm really curious to know if you can share some examples of companies that are making smart choices in this space and why do you think that is? Sure. Um, I'll hit on a few different uh, a few different ones. I think from a larger company standpoint, um, I've been watching Nestle's personalized nutrition strategy unfold with a lot of interest. Um, a few years ago, Nestle purchased Atrium, uh, which is a global nutrition supplement company that has a cleaner label footprint. Um, at the time of uh, purchase, uh, it seemed that Atrium was having uh, growing profitability and uh, had uh, done a lot of good work in uh, in channel expansion, expansion, particularly in e- e-commerce. Um, Nestle then followed with Persona, as I'm, uh, which I mentioned they had purchased last year, a uh, personalized supplement company, uh, which provides a natural synergy with the with the Atrium purchase. And now Nestle is expanding offerings with uh, different licensing agreements. I think the most recent one they announced uh, was a licensing agreement with Chromadex. So they are um, slowly and methodically establishing agreements or purchasing companies that in this space are, you know, already have a, have a strong reputation uh, in the nutritional supplement space. In many cases, they have been companies that um, already have more, you know, kind of a, a cleaner label halo in the space. But also, too, what they're doing is they're, they seem to be purchasing companies at a point where those companies are already demonstrating a successful business model. So why, you know, why is this important or what, you know, what is it, what is it doing for Nestle? I think that first, because they are buying companies that, you know, certainly seem looking in from the outside to have a logical uh, synergy between them and that, you know, allow them to help to expand into the space and also expand kind of in, you know, into a meaningful uh, channel for personalization in this, you know, more kind of a, you know, direct to direct consumer channel, it really allows Nestle to function as a service integrator, right? They can put their resources against, you know, how do you, how do we bring this together and take advantages of the strengths of a big company? I had seen Nestle doing presentations around the science of personalization going back, you know, probably close to 20 years now. They have, you know, an enormous knowledge base in this that they can kind of bring to the fore and help them to, you know, bring, you know, build this ecosystem and to build their, you know, build their offering in a meaningful way. So they seem to be doing a lot of, you know, a lot of smart moves in this space and kind of bringing together their players under Nestle's health sciences to, 
eventually get to a, a, a meaningful offering. On, um, on the ingredient side, I've been tracking a, a, a company in the uh, Bay Area called Brightseed. Um, I like what they're, some of the things that they're doing. They're using uh, advanced AI to really rapidly identify new bioactives in plants. You know, you know really, so you're, you're really leaning into the natural, naturally functional space in an advanced way here. They look for these, um, these natural bioactives that then can target key metabolic regulators of of health and or disease. So, you know, there it, it's base it, you know, it's it's high AI science and high, you know, preclinical and clinical science to, you know, to identify these targets that can have multiple end and benefits. And where I think they're doing a nice job is they're working with academia and other large companies then to help to develop and commercialize these products. And I think this really allows them again, you know, we talked a little bit about people trying to do too many things. This allows them to focus on their core competencies while at the same time managing their cost. And then finally, I think maybe another small company that I admire because they have a very science uh, first approach is uh, Zoe. So um, they're, they're crowdsourcing clinical research to support their program even before, even prior to launching a product. They're literally building a database of thousands of, of, of uh, people looking at complex metabolic responses before and after uh, consuming a uh, consuming a meal. Yes. And, you know, since you mentioned the put science first approach, what are your thoughts on the science within this area? Uh, I was a, uh, a scientist first. And I think from a science standpoint, ultimately, we're going to need three things uh, for science to assure success of personalized nutrition. The first thing is we need to be able to show a meaningful consumer benefit. And I think that the science is definitely developing in that space. But then ultimately, we need to show that that benefit is better than population-based approaches or one-size-fits-all approaches. And then finally, we need to show that that benefit can be extended or maintained over time. Meaning, we, as we talked about earlier, we have to maintain that continued engagement so that people can, you know, sustain or optimize health. If we can, if we can show the benefit, show it, show that benefit better than population-based approaches, and show that that benefit can be ex can be extended uh, over time, then ult ultimately um, we're going to have a big win in personalization. And I do believe that more personalized approaches to health are ultimately going to be the way to improve health and health span. So I. I I, I think there's a big opportunity. Um, I think there's a big opportunity here uh, for companies. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that I'm so, you know, passionate about this space and working with people to help build it out. Of course, there's still a long way in terms of science, but clearly it's an exciting and very promising area, which leads me to the last question for today. And that is, what is your key takeaway for a food and beverage company thinking about entering this space? Yeah, so I would say, again, I'll come back to the ecosystem point. And, you know, I think that personalized nutrition is a robust opportunity. And I think that the best way to do it is start with the consumer, the consumer that you want to serve, and then understand the role that you can play in that ecosystem. 
don't think about yourself in terms of how do you can how do you control the ecosystem so if you start with a if you start with a specific benefit or benefit area you know what is the need and the gap uh, for for a consumer and where you can play most strongly you can stitch together a focused ecosystem and you can you can start stepping into the personalized space and benefiting from it without necessarily needing to change your your products your portfolios or in some cases even your partners um, and 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 I, I I think that's a great way to start uh, you know and and honestly uh, to be able to do well as a business by doing right by the people you serve. That's great, Josh. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and look forward to welcoming you soon.